This is the Kingdom at Hand from Hosanna Free Lutheran Church in St. James, Minnesota, and I am Pastor Joe Faldet. Today's sermon, we're going to look at prejudging, how emotions and relationships play into our judgments. This is especially important during the fear-mongering through rampant speculation that's going on in the media during this whole coronavirus outbreak. So keep those things in your prayers, and as you listen, you're always welcome to check out our website, www.hosannafreelutheran.com, or our YouTube page, Hosanna Free Lutheran Church. And I read in Jesus' name, 1 Timothy 5, verses 19 through 25. Do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them in judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let us pray. Father, as we come to study your word, we ask that you would bless this time, bless this study, Lord, glorify your name, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just so you know, Titus, if you keep messing around, you're going to have to be up here with Pastor Joe. I don't know if I know a greater threat. <laughs> he doesn't he'd be happy to be up here. Oh, it's all good. I would, I would way rather have children and have to interact with that than to have it just be quiet. I've been in quiet churches, and that's not right. There's just something missing. And so um, getting into this sermon, into this text, I was... I was asked, why this text? Why not, go in, why not go back to Judges? This is actually something that's been uh, rolling around in my brain really for quite some time. Actually, it was, it started, I started thinking about it ever since Kermit got that letter. I don't know if, how many of you remember Kermit getting a letter from someone anonymously rebuking him and saying various things, whatever, um, and it's, it's been rolling around in my head ever since then. And a, a couple of things have happened since that time that brings it back up. And it's like, you know, I haven't gotten a chance to talk about this, and I really need to talk about this. Because we live in a culture that exists on prejudging. You know, when, I'll just pick on the Kavanaugh thing. When the Kavanaugh thing happened, how many people didn't even listen to the evidence and pay attention to the accusations and the defenses given. They just said, I believe him or I don't believe him. You know, I don't, I don't believe him because I always believe the victim. I always believe the accuser. Or I believe him because he's supported by Donald Trump and Donald Trump is, you know, he's next to God or whatever. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying he's not, but... No, that when when that happened, how many people really prejudged? 
I'd say that, that that was a danger for a lot. And if you listen to the media, and I, I task you with this, listen to the media and see how many times they actually present facts and how many times they actually present opinions and projections. You know, here's what we know, but this might happen, this might happen, this might happen, this might happen, this might happen. None of those might happens are news. That's fear. This is what we know. All right. This is what we know. That's news. The media doesn't strive on, like the news isn't news anymore. It's all of this other stuff. But what are they doing? They're prejudging because as they're looking at those things, they're not actually looking at all the possibilities. Okay, Joe, be careful. You don't go on a rant. Um, (laughs) But they're not looking at actually all the possibilities. They're looking at the ones that push the judgment that they want. And so the media, and all throughout, you know, we have to be careful that we actually stick to what we know and that we don't speculate beyond what we don't know. Because once we start speculating into what we don't know, we're judging. We're making judgments. So that's actually one of, there's lots of reasons, but we need to talk about this. And we need to talk about this because as a church, as people take leadership positions as people take roles of responsibility you rise up above the crowd and you know in the english saying the squeaky wheel gets the grease right do you know the chinese derivation of that or version of that no I, i've said it before the nail that sticks up gets hammered down you know and so they're looking at different aspects but it's still the one that stands out In America, we say, well, we soothe that one. In China, they say, that one's the one that's in trouble. And we live in a culture where more more often than not, the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. And so if someone takes positions of leadership, if someone takes positions of responsibility, if someone steps up in any way, oftentimes a person that steps up becomes a greater target for attack. So we need to have structures in place that protect those people that step up. Otherwise, what happens? You become China, and nobody steps up. Do we want to be a church like that? Do we want to be a church where everyone's afraid that if I step up, the pastor's going to get after me? If I step up, this person might lie about me? If I step up, if I I make something of myself, then, you know, what's going to happen? I don't want people living in that sort of fear. And Paul didn't want that either. And so he gives Timothy these instructions. And these instructions are the way that we need to interact with ourselves as the church. So we start out, the elders. And actually, that was kind of my point about the elders. Let the elders, oh, no, that's in 17, sorry. uh, Do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. What is an elder? Really, an elder was someone that was tasked with responsibility. And so that's someone that, and not even tasked so much. Because do you, any of you know someone who's just naturally gifted in something? You know, so they just do it. Why? Well, that's because they're what they're gifted in. So that's what they do. And so as that, that would be an elder. Someone who takes that responsibility, whether that responsibility has been given to them or whether they've just naturally accumulated that responsibility, they become an elder in that situation. They become someone who is a leader. They become someone who has followers. And once you take a position, you know, a position that's above others, 
not necessarily like, hey, I'm better because I'm standing up on a stage, but rather this is what God has called me to. So therefore, I, you take a public position, you are more liable to be attacked. And there's all sorts of reasons why. Actually, on the six-hour drive up to McIntosh and the six-hour drive back home, back here, um, I was thinking about the reasons why, and I came up with a lot of them to the point where I finally said, you know what, we're not even going to get into that because it, that would take up my whole sermon. But there's a lot of reasons why people attack others who are in positions of authority or in positions of prestige. And we have to protect those people. Otherwise, they're just going to get beat up beyond what's necessary. Because they're going to get beat up. Because Satan's going to attack them. But should we add to that? No. So, that's why Paul specifies elders here. Now, is there stuff that goes on amongst all of us commoners? Absolutely. You know, but usually that doesn't get brought to the position of, this is church disciplinary stuff. So, Paul says... Um, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And this evidence is important, and these witnesses are important because they didn't have forensic stuff back in this day and age. But that, that word evidence, like this isn't speculation. This isn't hearsay. This is evidence. These things are true. I saw this with my own eyes. So as I was receiving the offering plate today, if you guys had seen me reach in and slip something into my pocket, you know, imagine only one of you were paying that much attention. You saw me reach in and slip something into my pocket and then go back to the offering plate. You would say, Whoa, wait a second, Pastor Joe. What are you doing? I would hope you would because it would be pretty blatant. You know, you'd say, wait a second. What's that in your pocket? Not to quote Lord of the Rings or anything. Um, what has he got in his pocket? I've got a phone. Not in my pocket anymore. Um, doesn't really matter. I'm amazed at how much beating those things take. But then you could say, you know, check the pockets. Check his pockets. And that would be evidence. And so then everybody that was there to check the pockets would have that evidence. One person saw it and says, hey, there's something going on with the pockets. So that's a, that's a type of evidence. I actually have someone. I actually don't have anyone's check in my pockets. So... Um, just so you know. But what's going on? That Then you're giving others the opportunity to have evidence. We need evidence. And that evidence would come from witnesses. Jim saw that. Tim saw that. Okay, so now we've got two witnesses. Gene saw that. Now we've got three witnesses. Now we've got something that actually needs to come to the congregational level. Because if all of you guys saw me do that last Sunday, so if three people saw me do that last Sunday, but I don't, obviously didn't have the check in my pocket anymore, what do we do? You know, if only Peg saw that last Sunday, and she talked to everybody else, and everybody else said, no, I didn't see him do that. Would that be the position? Could she then have the right to bring this before the council? I swear I saw Pastor Joe stick a check in his pocket. No. Because really then you should question your own. Like, why am I the only one that saw that? Did I really see what I thought I saw? You know, then you have to start questioning yourself as someone who witnessed something. But if more than one person saw that, if Peg saw that and she was talking to the other people sitting towards the front, not you people sitting towards the back, um, 
So if you're watching a sermon online, do you still sit in the back of the room? <laughs> Sorry, that's not original with me, but Kirsten's uncle said that. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> just away from the spit zone. Um, you know, so Peg saw that, so she would then ask the people around, did anyone else see this? Am I losing my mind? Not that Peg would ever lose her mind, but, you know, anyone else see this? Tim would say, absolutely. <laughs> Be careful, Dar. Um, <laughs> you know, Tim said, yeah, I did. I thought that was really weird. Maybe I just missed something and, you know, asked Jim, Jim, did you see that? Yeah, that was really weird. I thought, I, I didn't know what Pastor Joe was doing. And then it would be the time, now that there's two or three of you to come up and say, hey, what in the world happened? I didn't do that. I didn't stick anyone's check in my pocket. You know, why would you stick a check in your pocket anyways? But whatever. You know, I didn't stick anyone's check in my pocket. It's say, but we saw you. You're lying. So what's your, what do you do then? And now it's time. We go to the elders of the church. Go to the council and say, hey, Pastor Joe's doing some really weird things. And one of those things is that he put this check in his pocket. And we don't know why, but we all three saw it. You know, we all three saw this. But why would we have, why would you have to go through those steps? In order to protect me from just a salacious accusation. You know, somebody doesn't like me, so you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accuse Pastor Joe of embezzling. Because he's a putz, you know. I don't want a putz to be my pastor. So we're going to accuse him of embezzling. And then we'll get him kicked out of the church. And then we can, you know, find someone that's younger and speaks slower. Something. Doesn't have such long sermons. Um, you know, people do that. Those things happen. I don't like that pastor. I wonder if I could get him, you know, on some charge or something. And so then you need the witnesses. And those witnesses are important so that these salacious accusations don't come forward. And then so misunderstandings don't come forward too and get, you know, happen at a congregational level. So those two or three witnesses are important. That evidence is important. And then say that I was convicted of this. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, kind of like that, a, a politician conviction. You know, when they apologize after they can no longer deny it anymore. Um, then what, what do you do? I, you know what? You're right. I put, I put Jim's check in my pocket. You know, it was only like $3 anyways, but still. Um, <laughs> a dollar and a half. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I, I did that. I won't do it again. Don't worry. So then what? You watch. Because Paul says, As for those who persist in sin. And that persisting is important. Because do people make mistakes? You know, that wouldn't be a mistake. But people make mistakes. People have bad judgment calls. You know, should I have done that? Probably not. You know, and again, the embezzling thing, that's not like, whoops. I accidentally slipped Jim's check in my pocket. You know, it, like that would have been pretty intentional. I would say that that you should really consider getting a new pastor if I start doing stuff like that. Um, or paying me more. No. Um, <laughs> but those who persist, because sins run in patterns. So you start watching for the patterns. And if those patterns exist, you rebuke them in public. Because when you rebuke them in public, you know, they didn't have official positions of, like, these official 
offices at this point in time. So if, if I rebuked Lindy in public as the Bible study teacher, really it would remove him from being the Bible study teacher. Because people would stop looking to him for leadership in Bible study. It's like Lindy's been embezzling from Mayo Clinic. He hasn't, by the way. Um, but if, if I said that, he's been stealing masks. Um, and toilet paper. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want hospital toilet paper. Um, we got leaves. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. But then we would stop looking to him for leadership. And so that's the position of rebuking someone in public because it's functionally removing them from positions of leadership where there's not an official title. Like, they're just a Bible study leader. That's not an official title. But we want to remove him from that position, so we're going to rebuke him in public. We're going to bring him down a notch. People are going to stop following him because he's been doing these things, because these sins exist in their lives. Now, if someone has an official title, then you actually have to go through other steps because the steps set up by the Constitution, and I don't know exactly what our Constitution says about that, but that's why we have constitutions. So if you have a pastor that's doing those things, then you go through the steps set up by the Constitution to remove the pastor if they persist in a sin. They make an error, deal with the error. If they keep making that error, deal with the person. Does that make sense? Because sins always exist and when someone is a, you know, like someone who's a thief, they don't just steal once. They'll steal and 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 there's a pattern there. Any questions? Okay. So, what? when do we judge? When do we bring an accusation to an official level? When there's the evidence of two or three witnesses. So, a witness is a person who saw it. Not Peg told Dar, and Dar told Barb, and now we've got three witnesses. Like, no, we've got one witness and then two hearsays. Okay. Partiality. Now, as I was reading this, I had never seen before the amount of weight that Paul puts on this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you. And so this isn't just like, I got a good suggestion for you. You should really think about this. Paul is saying this is one of the greatest things as you are interacting as church. I don't know how to say this any stronger. This is what I'm charging you to do. This is how you are to be interacting with charges. This is how you're to be interacting with difficult situations. This isn't just something you play with willy-nilly because these are big deals. You know, that whole Kavanaugh thing. Granted, that wasn't in a church. But what did that do to people's view of the media? What did that do to people's view of our Senate? What did that do to people's view of our judicial system? You know, I know people, not personally, but I read about them, read from them, that actually doubt the validity of our Supreme Court because we have someone like Kavanaugh on it. And so then they doubt the highest court in the land because people didn't take a charge like this seriously. You think about that. 
Why is this such a big deal? Because this is the validity, this is the trustworthiness of the whole institution to a degree rests upon this. If you pull out impartiality, the whole thing falls apart. And so Paul says, do nothing in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Now, prejudging is hard to avoid. It's hard to avoid. You know why? We have relationships with people, we have emotions, we have situations. I was talking to one person who um, was talking to someone else. He said, I always believe the victim. Because of an experience that she had. You know, so she's got that emotional attachment to this. So she hears the victim and she always believes the victim. Always. Why? Because of her own emotional attachment. And so why is it hard for us to prejudge? Because we have emotions. Even some of us Norwegians, not all of us, mind you, but some of us do. You know, we have emotions. And so those emotions need to be set aside for the time being until we can objectively look at, okay, what's actually going on? What's actually happening here? And so then we need to engage our reason and set aside our emotions because prejudging happens both directions, right? Prejudging can happen for the accuser. Prejudging can happen for the accused. You know, you think about the Harvey Weinstein stuff going on. How many of you actually know anything about that? I don't. But you know what? My emotions tell me he's guilty. Why? I have no idea. You know, because he's kind of a creepy looking old man. I don't know. <laughs> you know, that really? But why are my emotions telling me that? I actually don't know. Probably because of the media, the way that they have presented it. You know, because they've never interviewed him. They've just interviewed the ladies. Do I have the right to say he's guilty? No. Because I don't know anything about the case. You know, why should I trust these ladies and not trust him? I don't know any of them. I don't know any of them. And a lot of them are actresses, so... They're actresses. Sorry, think about that for a moment. We need to be impartial. We need to be impartial as we interact at basically all levels of our society. We need to actually listen to the evidence. We need to look at these things. We can't say, I like this person, therefore I'm going to believe them. I like this person, therefore I'm going to believe them. I dislike this person, therefore I'm not going to believe them. Or I dislike this person, therefore I'm not. You know, we can't do that. We have to remove our relationship from the situation and say, what are they actually saying? Can we bring past experience in? Yeah, but that's evidence for or against that person, but not my relationship with them. You know, but they've been so nice to me. Or they actually listen when I talk. Not that you guys do, but whatever. We're to do nothing from partiality. So if someone came up and accused me of embezzling, my helping them in, in a time of marital distress would not be evidence against that, would it? Well, but they visited my parent time and time again. That's not evidence in this. That doesn't even connect. You know, we do nothing out of impartiality. I really like Pastor Joe. I can't imagine this happening. 
That's partiality. You can't make that statement even. You have to say, I don't know. Now this accusation comes. I don't know. Well, is there any evidence? No, there's no evidence. Okay, you can go away. Is there any evidence? You know, I just feel, I just feel that he's been doing this. Like, whatever. That's not evidence. Because that's actually someone just listening to their relationship with this person. You know, I don't like him. I bet he would steal. He preaches too long. He, if he steals time, he probably steals money. <laughs> you know, but those evidences. No, if there's no evidence, the whole thing needs to go away. Because then you can't judge impartially. Then you're just judging based on relationships. And Paul says, don't do that. Does that make sense? It actually, it's pretty simple. But it's really hard to play that out. Because our emotions get involved in these things. And then what happens when you do prejudge? Have you ever thought about that? What happens when you do prejudge? You know, I don't have all the evidence, but I already think they're guilty. You know, I don't have all the evidence, but I already think they're innocent. And then more evidence comes in, either to acquit or to convict. Well, then what happens? I'm not going to believe that evidence because it goes against my prejudgment. And so then you stop looking at the evidence. When you prejudge, you stop looking at new evidence because I already have my beliefs. I already know what I know. Don't confuse me with the facts. You know, that's what happens when we prejudge. And then we mess the whole system up. And it doesn't matter who's that against. This is so important that we stop and say, I need to be impartial in this. And if you can't be impartial, then don't judge at all. Then take a whole big step back away from the whole situation and say, you know what, my opinion doesn't matter. Because I can't interact with this in an impartial manner. Remove yourself from that situation. Because we are to do nothing before God, the angels, and Christ himself. We are to do nothing without prejudging. We are to do nothing with partiality. Period. That's why our court system set up the way it is. Does it function all the time? I can't say that it does. Why? Because people haven't taken this seriously. So then what do we do? What do we do with accusations then? You know, how do we interact with that? Because that's important. Someone sees something or thinks they saw something. That's important. Well, we listen to that person. You know, I I listen to Richard or I listen to Tim or, you know, I listen. We listen to these things. But then we stop and we wait and we watch. Because if, if Nathan comes up to me and says, you know, Don has been doing this. He hasn't yet, Don. So don't worry, your secret's safe with me. Um, No. You know, Don has been doing this. So, has anyone else seen Don do that? I don't know. So then what would I do? Take a step back and say, all right, we'll wait. We'll wait and see what happens. Anyone else do this? Will she do this again? Anyone else will come to me. Because some people's sins are conspicuous. They're on the nose. Like me taking a check out of the offering plate and sticking it into my pocket would be a pretty conspicuous sin, right? Like that would be obvious. Me standing up here swearing during the sermon 
would be a pretty conspicuous sin. Like, I'm doing it in front of everybody. Some sins are conspicuous. Some sins everybody sees. And so then we deal with them at that level because they're there for the whole world to know. You don't deny them. You know, I think about these, uh, this discussion about, like, pastors living in sin. Well, we're all sinners, You're right, we're all sinners, but that doesn't give you the right to sin. That just means that that pastor needs to repent, and if he hasn't repented, then he needs to learn to repent. And why would you follow a pastor that doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know how to repent? Really? Why would you follow a pastor like that? That's just insane. And so if a pastor's doing something like that at a public level, that's a conspicuous sin. You know what? You deal with that in a conspicuous way. But what about these other sins? But sins of others appear later. Do we go on witch hunts? Do we dig into every aspect of Dawn's life to see if the sin that Nathan brought forward about her is actually legitimate? You know, that Dawn's been beating Roger and that's why he's not here today. (laughs) Or something. (laughs) You know, do we do that? Do we look at the baseball bat in Don's basement, you know, and, and see if there's anything on that? Do we, is that our call? No. We take a step back and we wait and say, if this is something that's not conspicuous, but I'm starting to hear about it, we'll see if there's a pattern here. You know, how many times has Roger pulled a muscle? Oh, there's two now. <laughs> Roger fell down the stairs again. Whoops. <laughs> that actually is not funny, but it's, it is funny because could you ever see Don doing that? I can't even imagine it. But they, they would appear because they appear later. Paul says here, they might, it doesn't say that they might, but the sins of others appear later. This is a reality. Patterns are realities. If this is something that we need to deal with, that I need to deal with as a pastor, then that means that I have to start seeing a pattern. I can't just see, you know what, she made a mistake. Or he made a mistake. You know, Roger got Don really mad. And, you know, she just went and slugged him and, and Roger laughed. And, you know... <laughs> okay. Are we going to bring that to court? No. Are we going to kick Don out of the congregation for that? No. You know, are we going to maybe talk to Don about anger management? Maybe Roger management? You know, <laughs> maybe that's the level that we deal with this. Because we look for those patterns. You know, Roger keeps appearing with black eyes and pulled muscles. and You know, okay, now it's time to actually deal with this. We need to deal with this. Because things happen in patterns. And you know, it's interesting then that Paul doesn't just say that. But he says, so also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. And so the truth always rises up. This is one of the great realities that we have as Christians, and this is one of the things I trust in when I think about what's going on in Washington and what, you know, what has gone on in Washington. The truth always rises to the top. Bad things always come up. Even good things come up. They can't remain hidden. They will not remain hidden. The truth will come out. And so if we don't know what's really going on, we can just take a step back and say, let's watch and wait. 
If we prejudge, then we're going to change the way we view the evidence. But if we take a step back and say, I'm going to see really what's going on here. I'm going to withhold my emotional judgment and I'm going to really watch. The truth will always come out. Just watch, wait, and trust God. When I'm prejudging, I'm trusting my own emotions to teach me what's right and wrong. But when as I wait for God to bring the truth out, to let the truth rise up after that pot's been stirred and the truth rises up, Say that God working. Now I know because I've seen the patterns. And we need to walk this way. Why? For our protection. For the protection of the accused and for the protection of the accusers. For the protection of the accused. For the protection of these things, for the validity of the system, we walk this way. And so if someone brings a sin to me and says, you know what, Richard's been doing this. I say, do you have any evidence? Well, I saw something that looked maybe kind of like he might have been doing that. You know, Richard's been ice skating on the river down. <laughs> I don't know why that would be a sin. <laughs> Just foolish. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but what do we do with that? All right. We take a step back, we watch, we wait, we let the truth come out. Because the truth will. Praise God. Truth will come out. And then we don't have to be living in fear that someone's going to you know, throw some crazy accusation after me. I don't have to be living in fear if I bring a legitimate accusation. Because I actually know someone who out of fear that her accusation wouldn't be heard, didn't bring an accusation. I know of more. What does that teach you? People aren't trusting God. Since they're not trusting God, they're not walking in His ways. But if we're going to say we trust God, we need to walk in His ways. Any questions? So why are we talking about this? Because these structures need to be in place so that we can interact freely with each other. Not always worrying that some crazy person or somebody with a grudge or even some bad pastor is going to stay in. Because that, that side happens too. He's a pastor. He'd never do that. He's a human. He has a potential. Even this one does. Not that I know of anything that I've done that would need to come at this level. But let's pray. Father, guide us to walk in righteousness. Lord, guide us as we hold others accountable with our eyes. Lord, and, and observe and see what they're doing. Lord, help us to see impartially what's going on in this world. Lord, that you might be glorified in us as an organization, an institution, as Christians. Lord, that we might walk impartially in love and care. Lord, and that your gospel might go forth into this world from a safe place. Lord, a place that runs according to the rules that you have set down. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.